Love speaks in any culture. True, real love speaks. And I believe that God wants to raise us out of a worldly, demonic, earthly way of thinking. And he wants us to think with a heavenly mind, with the perfect mind of Christ. He wants our thoughts to be aligned with him and it's his word. And when we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, people will say, there's just something about that Jesus. The world rarely speaks with the true love of God. This love that has the power to change lives is kept quiet, not shared and spread as it needs to be. Pastor Daniel will tell us today that love is something we're called to give to every person, everywhere. Jesus came to die for everyone's sins, and that extravagant act deserves to be shared far and wide. With Jesus' help, we can work on changing this dark world by spreading the light. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 28 with his continuing study called Blessings and Curses. He says in verse 10, Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. Now, the idea of them being afraid is not only they fear them, but because of the presence of God, because this is a group of people who they are the bright, shining witness of God, everyone's going to see and be like, man, there is something unique about those people. And brothers and sisters, I believe that's exactly what God wants to do today. But you know why people don't look at the church and say, they are called by the name of God. Why? Because we're living in rebellion. The world is not seeing a group of people who are set apart, who are God's own holy people. They're seeing a group of people who can't follow Jesus. Pulled in a million directions. We love Jesus until something goes wrong and then we hate Jesus and we're all living in the world and we're all over the place, just like the children of Israel. Isn't it true? Am I the only one who's found myself all over the place? God wants us to... Walk with him in such a way that the world would know, look, there's just something about those people who call themselves by the name of Jesus. God wants us to be his peculiar people and not peculiar weird. He wants us to be unique in this world. And I think the problem is is that too many of us, we just want to fit in. We just want to be light. And we don't care if we have to diminish the light of God that wants to shine through us. We're just was like, I'll do anything just to be at a couple more followers on Twitter, a couple more people snapping in my direction. I'm willing to do whatever. And what I want to encourage you to do is if we follow Jesus, people will stand in awe of the presence of God in the midst of his people. And I really believe that one of the things God is doing in this generation as being a follower of Jesus is marginalized in our culture is he's allowing a washout of people who really don't want to follow Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, I think it's a good thing because I think what God really wants is he wants us to realize that following him is not meant to be something we just do on Sundays or midweek, 
but it's an entire holistic way of living that doesn't just encompass us spiritually. It encompasses the totality of our lives. There's not an area of who you are that the gospel is not meant to inform. Like right now, we see it with politics. My friends, the way the American political system works has nothing to do with Jesus. Everyone wants to leverage Jesus' name, but Jesus ain't having any of this. It's all wrong. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not reading your Bible, you're just going to buy into one of the sides. I'm here to tell you, it's all wrong. Jesus has a view of this world that is so different than the Democrats and the Republicans. And I know I probably offended most of you by saying that. (laughs) But I'd be a lousy pastor if I didn't. Because you deep down, you know I'm right. The way this thing plays is not the way of Jesus. Why? Because at the very least, Jesus says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who use you. Pray for those who persecute you. See, the mark of maturity for the follower of Jesus is maturity of love. The ability to love everybody, even if you don't agree. To bless people, even if they wrong you. And right there, the way politics works in America drowns. There's no understanding of this reality. But love speaks in any culture. True, real love speaks. And I believe that God wants to raise us out of a worldly, demonic, earthly way of thinking. And he wants us to think with a heavenly mind, with the perfect mind of Christ. He wants our thoughts to be aligned with him and it's his word. And when we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, people will say, there's just something about that Jesus. Because look at them. They are not like everybody else. When we walk with the Lord, people will see. They'll know it. Now notice, again, verse 11. The Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body and the increase of your livestock. So all this stuff, it all ties together. Not only that, verse 12. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give you rain in your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. He's saying even the atmospheric conditions to grow crops could be perfect. Don't forget, they're living in the desert area. If you've ever been to the Middle East, Very arid climate, desert climate. So rain was essential. I mean, now we can do it in greenhouses and we have irrigation and we have all these different things that we can do. I mean, even there's a movie, a guy can grow crops on Mars. I don't know if that's, you know, no one's really been on Mars. I was impressed. Matt Damon can grow crops on Mars, you know. I was like, wow, dude, Matt Damon can do everything. He can do calculus. He can kick anyone's butt and he can grow crops on Mars. You got to love movies, man. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just keep reading your Bible. Don't worry about it. (laughs) But I was impressed. But in an arid climate, if you can't just go to the supermarket and you can't get your groceries shipped in from somewhere else, that rain is essential for survival, for drinking water, for your crops and everything. So God is saying, I'm going to bless you. Now, as we move into verse 15, now we're going to start to define the people upon whom the curses fall. 
Okay, so we get these beautiful 14 verses all about obedience and blessings, and then we're going to move to the curses for disobedience. Now, I'm going to just be honest with you. This is some tough sledding right here. It's like nobody really likes to see the bad news, right? It's like the good news is like, yes, blessings for obedience, yes. And then you go through the bad news, you're like, ugh, why do we have to study this stuff? But we want to see both sides of the coin. So it says in verse 15, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all of his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Curses shall be you in the city, and curses shall be you in the country. Curses shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body, and the fruitus of your land, and the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall be when you come in, and cursed shall be when you go out. And the Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke, and all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed, and until you perish quickly, because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. Verse 22, the Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, and with mildew, they shall pursue you until you perish. And your heavens, which are over your head, shall be bronze, and the earth, which is under you, shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust from the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them and you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and no one shall frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, with the itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart, and you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in the darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. Now, that's depressing, isn't it? But you notice this is the exact antithesis of what we just saw in the blessings. Almost the same language, right? Whereas before, you're going to be blessed in the country, be blessed in the city, your kneading bowl, everything's going to be blessed. Now it's you're going to be cursed in the country. You're going to be cursed in the city. See, the difference between the position of blessing and the position of cursing is, are we honoring the Lord and walking in his ways? And depending on what decision the children of Israel made, they got whatever the effect is of the cause and decisions that they made. And I hate to say it, but it is true the same way for us. We will experience the fruit of our own doings. And I don't want to be a downer, but it's like when we look at our lives, we have to ask ourselves, what part do I play in all this? Because as our beloved Pastor Generino preached this Sunday, those who blame other people are not the ones who change things. 
And we, since Adam and Eve, when something goes wrong, we're always looking, who can I pin this on? Who can I blame for what this thing is? And oftentimes, you know who we blame? Everybody else. We don't want to own it at all. Isn't that what Adam and Eve and the serpent did? Remember, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, Adam, you know, what'd you do? He's like, well, it's this woman you gave me. He really blamed God. He's like, the woman you gave me gave me the fruit and I ate it. So it's your fault. You shouldn't give me the woman. And then, of course, Eve, he goes to Eve and Eve's like, well, it's the serpent deceived me. You know, because there's only three people there with the Lord, the serpent had no one to blame it on. So he didn't even say anything. He just kind of owned it, you know. But it's so easy to blame. But here you have our decisions have consequences. I always think of our founding pastor. One time we were talking, we were talking about decisions that get made that really hurt. And he says, you know, Daniel, I just think that we live in a day and age where people fail to think consequentially. We fail to think through farther than just the next few minutes. We get caught in a moment. We live in an instant gratification society. And we don't have the ability to think beyond the impulse of the moment. We lack self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. And so we make immediate decisions that have long-term consequences, and we never even realize what's at stake. So I just want to encourage you today to start to think consequentially. Try and think not just for the next five seconds, but try and say, what does this look like in five months or five years or 50 years if the Lord were to tarry? Lord, help me to think with the long view and eternity in mind. And so as he goes through this whole list, I mean, we, we talked about them all on the blessing side. I mean, what's interesting is once we move into verse 20, Instead of being having the Lord as their security and their protection, the Lord actually functions to be almost a hindrance to them. The Lord will send on you cursings, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you. Until you're consumed from the land, the Lord will strike you with consumption and with fever. And it goes on. Now, I realize that this seems paradoxical because in one set of verses, that's a good word, paradoxical. Write that down. If you play words with friends, you'll get lots of points for that one. It's a good word, too. But we struggle. We love to see the God of blessing, but we really don't like the idea of a God who can bless so abundantly can also curse and judge so severely. And I realize our culture loves the idea of God blessing and hates the idea of God cursing. But in our Bibles, the Bible does not, that seeming paradox is not biblical. That's cultural. See, God's ability to be compassionate and loving and extravagant in generosity is part of his perfections. And God's rightful place to judge with severity those who are in rebellion against him are both part of God's perfectness. God would not be perfect if he didn't do both with equal passion. That's one of the things I love about the Bible. Because I think one of the reasons people don't like the Bible is because we really want, I think it was uh, Nietzsche who said it, that God created us in his image and we were all trying to return the favor ever since. 
See, all of us want to create God in our own image. We want God to like who we like and dislike who we dislike. And unless you're a really kind of an angry person, the idea of judging, cursing, it's kind of like, well, hey, you know, we, we don't really want to do that unless we don't like what someone did, right? But the Bible teaches us who the real God is. And God is challenging. God's ways are unique. God does things that we would never in a million years think to do. But that's why we worship him. And so I don't want you to struggle with the fact that a God who can forgive so extravagantly can also judge so severely. Because don't miss the fact that God's extravagant forgiveness for us was all the curses and judgment on Jesus's body. Like you realize that the ultimate act of grace was hell on earth for Jesus. Like when people say to me, like, oh, the God of the Old Testament, he's a vengeful God. He's a God of war. And the God of New Testament is love and grace. I'm like, well, no, no, no. Same God. The only difference is in the Old Testament, God's judgment hits people. In the New Testament, it hits Jesus. And for those who don't believe in Jesus, it hits them at the end. But same God. And I realize that that's a challenge, but one of the things that I would encourage you, I remember when I first started reading the scriptures, I really struggled with the God of judgment, the God of wrath, the God who is a warrior. But I remember I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said, well, why don't you pray about that and ask God to explain to you why he is this way? And that's my advice to you. If you struggle with the God who can judge severely, a God who wants to bless his people, but if they rebel against them, he will cause confusion, all these things to go wrong. If you struggle with that, say, God, I don't understand why you'd be that way. Will you explain it to me? And what I will tell you is that, again, I don't understand everything about God. God is infinite and I am finite. But every single day I realize that God, who God is, is perfect. And every single day that I realize how perfect God is, I realize how radically imperfect I am. How my ways, left up to my own devices, are just going to be flat out wrong. But God's ways are right. And it says that when we know as we are known, no one is going to be able to bring a reviling accusation against God. No one, when you understand as the Alpha and the Omega understands, you will not say, God, you got that wrong. You will say, you were perfectly right. That's what the Bible teaches. But God can be as severe in judgment as he can be extravagant in compassion and grace. And that's what we keep seeing here. I mean, it gets to the point where not only are they going to have these physical things. I mean, we have consumption and plague and fever and inflammation and severe burning fever. But then God's also, in verse 22, he's going to be cursing all the crops, the scorching and the mildew. So the idea of scorching is it's so dry that nothing can grow, or mildew, it's so wet that nothing can grow. It's an amazing thing. You realize that. How many, I killed about five plants by overwatering this past year. I didn't realize you could do that. I learned something new. All of a sudden, all the leaves started getting splotchy brown. I'm like, oh, what happened? I got bad plants and I went on Google brown spots. You're overwatering. Oh, 
I did have a little help from my little Annabelle, though. When I wasn't around, she'd water it, too. But it happens. Too much water can kill it. Not enough water can kill it. Notice, the heavens above your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be iron. The idea is it's going to be so hot, the ground is going to be so hard. You won't be able to plant anything. It's totally, uh, like, it's unbelievably impossible to get a crop of food from a ground that is so hard. Now, when I think about this idea of the ground being so hard, I'm reminded about how God sees our hearts and how our hearts can be hard. And it says in the Bible how God wants to take out our hearts of stone and he wants to put in a heart of flesh. It also says in the Bible that God's desire is to break up the fallow ground in our hearts. And I think in some ways we're all here together worshiping and studying because we want God's word to have its perfect work to soften our hearts. And you realize that if in a situation where a ground is really hard, you got to get a jackhammer to get that thing going. And I think in some ways this section of scripture is kind of like a jackhammer. It's tough. Some nasty stuff in there. I remember I've only used a jackhammer one time. We were doing some work out here and like, hey, Pastor Daniel, you want to use the jackhammer? It's like, we just really want to take a picture of you using it. You know what I mean? I'm holding this thing. You know? I pulled every muscle in my neck trying to hold that thing, you know? Everyone was laughing at me. It was funny. It was a good moment. But I got the picture, so I've used the jackhammer. But it's amazing. A jackhammer can break apart concrete. It's powerful. It's a lot of smoke and a lot of pressure and a lot of friction, but it gets the job done. And that's why I think God's placed some of the hard areas of the scriptures in there, hard truths. Because sometimes we need to remember that our disobedience could cost us everything. So he's saying, man, the ground is going to be like iron. It says in verse 24, the Lord will change the rain in your land to powder and dust from the heavens. It shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and you shall flee seven ways before them and you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. You're carcasses, verse 26, shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and no one shall frighten them away. Now, verse 26 is kind of a strange one, but in that culture, a proper burial was important, and the lack of a proper burial was shown as a sign of complete and utter desolation. And so the idea of being killed and the bodies being eaten by carrion birds bodies being eaten like roadkill. It was a total sign of desolation. That's also one of the reasons why, remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, they wanted to get them down off the cross before the Passover because they didn't want it to be a public spectacle with animals literally eating these bodies on the cross. It was a sign of total and complete desolation when that would happen. It's the ultimate of cursing. And he's saying, look, if you are disobedient, that's what's going to happen. Jesus is real. It's hard for many to reconcile the seemingly different characteristics of God between the Old and New Testaments. Pastor Daniel reminded us today God never changed, 
Our Creator is and has always been perfect and all-powerful. We've never and will never be enough. God cannot tolerate sin and had to deal ruthlessly with it. Jesus came to take all that ruthless punishment upon himself, freeing us from that and giving us new life. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is that this year we launched a brand new campus in Southwest Portland. We would love to invite everyone to come and join Crossroads Southwest Portland on Sundays at 10 a.m. We're growing, and honestly, not just in Southwest Portland, but all over the country and the world as people join us at our online campus, 9, 11, and 1 p.m. or Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. on our online campus, crossroadslive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will take some time to remind us why we need to know and follow God's standard of living. Though we may think what we have in this life is the best, God has something so much better. It will make what we know now pale in comparison. God's plan, though, is meant to be followed by us obediently, even when we can't see the next step, and especially when it's hard. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Cause and Effect next time.